0: Welcome to The Housetop Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Aber as he teaches God's Word. Well, good evening, Facebook, and... We're just glad everybody shows up on Wednesday nights, been hearing such good reports out there. We were in some larger gatherings throughout the week and uh, many folks that I don't see on a regular basis were coming up to us and telling us how they're blessed by these uh, uh, broadcasts. And so we're just so grateful for that. And just uh, those kind of kind words just keep us going and keep us stirred up and keep us uh, not weary and well doing. But I, I believe this word won't come back void. It will accomplish what God sent it to do and uh, we're seeing things reach far and wide right now, and good things are happening. We're just grateful for it. So we've been going through the book of Ephesians on our Wednesday night studies, and uh, we're in chapter 4 right now. We'll pick it up in verse 17 in just a moment. If you've missed some of these teachings, you could go back and uh, catch up. You can go to our website at www.housechurchesusa.com and catch up either on these teachings or peruse through and there's lots of teachings that I'm sure will bless you and fit your need exactly what you're needing in this hour. And uh we'll just uh pray that God will bless you in that website. So there's books, there's podcasts, there's audios, videos, there's all kinds of stuff. And uh I hope you'll use the website. It's a great tool. So without further ado, let's get into the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now, what we've done, we've spent a lot of time in the last few weeks on the huge paradigm shift that was taking place in the new covenant. As this paradigm shift began to happen, it moved from a temple centered, Jewish centered thing. The mystery revealed was that Jew and Gentile would now worship the same God and uh, the the the. Activity of worship moved away from a one physical temple. Now in the New Testament, we become the temple of God. The Spirit of God fills us. And here's a wonderful thought. His name is in us. And we are a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365 worship center. We're worshipers. And that glory that rests on the worshiper of God, that presence and cloud of glory that rests with each worshiper, Would everywhere we go would incite worship with others. And so as we witness, it would become worship. Bro, just think that through. If we would live this New Testament out right now in our generation, we'll see some good stuff happen. You're a temple of God. It's not a building. It's that we are the temple of the living God. And once we can make that shift in our own thinking right now, and remember that tradition has cheated us from this and we're still addicted to buildings and think we have to go to these events Christianity is not an event. It's a way of life. And so that paradigm shift was taking place and grabbing hold. And one of the great places that it was manifesting was in the city of Ephesus where the apostle Paul hit head on the demon spirit called Artemis or Diana. And, uh, it, it opened the can of great spiritual warfare and, uh, really a, a, a territorial demon really lifted and the, and the church was squarely planted in Ephesians powerful things were happening. Now, what you're going to see here as we've been dealing with this paradigm shift and seeing how the structure of the church was taking place, you have to remember now these Ephesian believers, these were not Jews. These were Gentile people. Now they're receiving Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so the Jewish God was now the son of of that Jewish God was now being revealed to the Gentiles and they were becoming worshipers. But they were not raised on a moral code. They were not raised with the Ten Commandments. They were raised in truly pagan society and pagan lifestyle. So as we pick it up there, keep all that in mind, because what's going to happen now We've been establishing structure, how the New Testament structure began to unfold. Now we're going to see the the wine skin and now we'll see the content as it moved into the Gentile world and how the apostle treated those who were not raised with a Judeo-Christian ethic or Judeo ethic. Now a Gentile believer, how he had to work to form Christ in them. Watch carefully. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify. That word testify there is the same word for martyr or martyrdom. I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness, with greediness. And so there he starts right here. Now notice he says, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm the, uh, I therefore the, uh, I say therefore and testify or I, as a martyrdom. I mean, he understood that as he began to preach what he was preaching, uh, and, and teach what he's teaching, a demand, if you would, that if you're going to cr- say you're Christian, there would be a lifestyle change, significant lifestyle change. And what he would do, he would not, he didn't come back and bring these uh, Gentile believers under the law, but he did introduce and reinforce many of the 10 commandments right here and bring us into a, uh, the, uh, the higher law, if you would, the law of faith, the law of the spirit, the law of grace, uh, the law of love. He brought this Royal law of, of that. There would be lifestyle change. And I think it was to great peril because I, look, you know what? You can tell people, Receive Jesus and, and be saved. And they think, whoa, wait, I'm going to get saved from that bad old hell. Yeah, I'm in for that. But the day you mention change your life, then you're in peril. Nobody wants to change. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to change. And, and so the fact is that we this, this hits, uh, tougher plowing, if you would, than just trying to invite somebody to go to heaven in the future. So he said, I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as The rest of the Gentiles. Now, I want to focus on that word walk just for a second. And walk means not just the the physical activity of walking, but it literally means the idea of of your manner of life, the way you walk, the way you live your life. And uh, it's very interesting that the book of Ephesians is filled with the word walk. Uh, Paul Paul visited this many times in chapter two. I'm going to go through them if you don't mind hurriedly in chapter two, verse two. We've covered this turf, but I just want you to see this. Verse one, and you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of obedience, among whom also "...we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others." And so here we see the Apostle Paul referring that we used to walk according to the course of the world. And so prior to Christ, we all did. We all worked, walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and really basically demonized by the spirit of the age. And so this is a, a powerful understanding that salvation literally is a deliverance from that kind of walk. Now, what the grievous thing in our generation is that now we're not being called out of that kind of walk. We're, there's this, this theology today, uh, this friend of sinners theology, I, I like to call it, that, yeah, certainly Jesus was uh, mockingly called the friend of sinners. And, and, and really it really was a derogatory thought. But the the fact is, he did go to the sinner, but he called them to repentance. He called them to change. Look. The fact is, he didn't say, stay in your sin. He said, go and sin no more. He called them out of their sin. And the powerful work was the renewal of their whole life, that they were changed from what a sinful person to a righteous person through the power of the new birth. And so if we see in chapter 2, verse 8, it goes on. Another walk, he said in verses 8 through 10, he said, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, uh, uh, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, Uh, here's a powerful thought that in the, in the, in the salvation of God, that God has foreordained that we would be recreated in Christ Jesus for a good work. And I believe really the good work is to walk and display that the, that in this body, in our physical body, in the age, this present age, we would walk with manifesting the spirit of Christ in our life, I believe that's the greatest work that can be done and that we would walk in the good work of the, of the full change that we have been transfigured in Christ Jesus. Now we can find all kinds of specific works that are done, but as we walk filled with God, there is no greater work than to affect everyone around you because of the presence of God that's on you. Powerful stuff. OK, so we keep moving. He says also in chapter four and in verse uh, one, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling by which you were called. We touched on this last week, the calling by which you're called walk worthy of the calling that there should be a lifestyle change that aligns with what God has called us to. God has called us, if you look carefully, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 1, both of us say we have been called to be saints, called to holiness. We've been called out of the world, called into this marvelous light, and we should walk as children of the light, which we'll see in just a few minutes. So when we see this idea that walk, 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 He's now beginning to talk specifically about how we walk in this life uh, if we'll move ahead just a bit 5 chapter 5 verse 2 verse 1 and 2 therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma now. Again, not just a walking in a rigidity of commandment or a rigidity of, 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 uh, lifestyle cleanup, but the, the love of God has to be inside of this too. So he says, walk in love. And it's the same agape. Walk in agape. Walk in God. Walk in Christ. Agape love has to be what's in us, and so and and be tender-hearted, loving, and just like Christ loved us, we're to love each other. And really, this is a a, a whole new thought to the Gentile world that we're to love one another, not in a uh, a pagan way, not in a, a a sexual content or just family way, but a, an agape love where we love each other uh, the way God loved us. It's an awesome thought. And if we look uh, just a little ahead in in verse eight, he says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And we'll get to that next week. But walk as children of light, for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So we're to walk as children of the light. I have a lot to say on that next week. And we just I won't mess with it but again I, I'm just wanting you to see just how loaded up the Ephesian book is with the idea of walking and how we walk before God and so in verse 15 we'll hit the last one he said see that you walk circumspectly now that's a a, a, a a big word in, in the New King James, but it, it literally, the Greek language is acrobatos. It's literally like uh, an acrobat or like a person on a type road. It's an exact walk. It's a perfect walk. It's a, it's a uh, precise walk that we're to walk without wavering there. Walk the straight and narrow if you would. Now, uh, I think that again, next week we'll get on all those things in a, in a more specific way. So as we lay that groundwork and see that the book of Ephesians is literally filled with the idea that we're to, the gospel is to affect how we actually live our lives. Now, that might sound very uh, elementary to some, but why is it then so difficult? Why are so many living just like the world? Why do so many claim to be saved and yet they are, you, you can't only tell, There's, I mean, where is this salvation? Where does it manifest? When does it actually show up? Where is there some proof that you've had a divine encounter? Stay with me. Watch carefully. Let's go back through it and and talk through it. This I say, therefore, and testify. I, I live with a threat of martyrdom. I testify in the Lord that we should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now, I want to tell you right now, you begin to challenge someone's walk today and you say, hey, why do you live like that? And they will say, you are judging me. You just hang on. This is the standard demonized answer of our generation. I'm telling you, the de- devil knows at least one verse of scripture. We know the devil knows and believes in trouble, but he has fogged up the minds of so many people that say that we can't judge. This is the most foolish demonized doctrine on the planet. That verse ain't even teaching us. It's actually teaching us how to judge, not to not judge. He's teaching us how to judge. And so if you go back and read it, you might understand, but, or maybe not. You just want to live your life. With, Don't judge. And, and it's, it's just, it's really, uh, supposed to be the end of all arguments. But this is why we see that there's a peril associated with challenging a person's lifestyle. You see, now we've created this way of preaching our generation that's nicer than God, that's sweeter than Jesus. You could not get crucified with the way uh, most preachers preach today. You just couldn't. Because you're in agreement with the world. Stay with it. Watch carefully. Don't walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their mind. Now, this is important stuff right here. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Wow. Mouthful. Now, I want to show you something right here in these in this passage about the blindness of the heart in particular. Romans chapter one says, however, when they knew God, they were not thankful. Neither did they recognize him as God, but became vain in in their vain imaginations. And their foolish hearts were darkened. They didn't worship him as God. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. They changed his Glory! They changed his truth and began to worship other things and idol worship. And it says that God gave them over. He gave them over, and finally He gave them up. And I don't want to go to a teaching on Romans, but what I'm, I'm I think is so important if we'll if we'll look just carefully at Romans one twenty one. Just brief glance at this. Romans one twenty one. This is the the verse that I believe it catches what we want to see. It says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, neither were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and the foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fool, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and 4 footed animals and creeping things. And if you'll follow this thought... And, and let me inject this. I believe that the that the first judgment toward man, when man begins to refuse or resist the true God, the first judgment that gets on man is a blindness on the heart and the mind. That is a judgment from God. As a matter of fact, if you go and, and finish reading Romans chapter one, you're going to see a, a, a devolving, if you would, into depravity, and, and, and literally it became homosexuality and lesbianism and all, all kind of, uh, terrible stuff. And literally these don't bring a judgment. Homosexuality and lesbianism are the judgment. There are further repercussions for that, but, and it's not just, look, whenever you begin to dishonor your bodies with one another, that's fornication, straight fornication, straight sex, but then lesbianism and homosexuality, these are judgments, even heterosexual fornication. These are judgments whenever we begin to give a loose uh, sexual society. And this is exactly what Paul's warning against. He said, I'm a a martyr for teaching on this, but don't walk like the other Gentiles. You can't walk in sexual sin. He's going to get real specific in a little bit here. But now look at our generation right now. We've lost all moral compass on this. And we're losing the cultural war to the sodomite communities, if you think about it. They're screaming and hollering and the church say, well, we got to be accepting and we can't judge and we can. Oh, my goodness, man. We have a duty right now. And I tell you right now, it's time for some pastors to stand up and crow like a rooster. We need to shout. We need to begin to to preach the word of God. And they don't have to be mean spirited, but we cannot. uh, We cannot repent and believe what a a fallen society is. telling. I'm not going to repent to think like the world. I want them to repent, to think like God. Stay with it. The futility of their mind. Look at Second Corinthians chapter four. To further reinforce the understanding of what I just said about the first judgment of God is on the heart and on the mind when we refuse God. It says, uh, I think we'll start in verse three. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now, again, notice the blinded mind. Now, this is exactly what Ephesians, we'll go back to Ephesians now. This is exactly what Ephesians is talking about, that the blindness. He said, don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind or in the vanity which is moral depravity devoid of truth perversion of the mind don't walk like the world's walking in a in a vanity or in a perversion or delusion or depravity or devoid of truth having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God, now I want you to notice this. The Bible says in the book of Luke chapter one, it says that he scatters the proud in the imaginations of their heart. You understand the judgment of God when once we begin to risk the true uh, resist the true God and begin to uh push for our own God, make our own, create our own God, twist him into what we want him to be. As soon as we do that, a darkness comes on the heart and the mind of of, of, a darkness. God allows the devil to begin to get in your head and change your thoughts. He won't let you be able to see what you need to see. It's a mind of darkness. It's a spiritual fog in the head, if you would. You cannot see. This is a terrible plight. This is a terrible thing when judgment gets on the heart and mind of a rebellious idolatry, idolatrous person. Now, when it becomes darkened, uh, it, there's a covering on the head; you just cannot see. Now, watch carefully. Here's the worst part: who look, and and then you're being alienated from the life of God. Notice that that you've been you've been shunned from, you've been uh, separated from the life of God. Wow. This this is spiritual death, if you want to get down to it. All right. Your physical body and your soul continue to exist. But spiritual death comes right here. That's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. That the day they eat, they they die. There was a blindness comes on. Now they were engrossed in the knowledge of good and evil, but they could not see. The, the 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 tree of life. They couldn't see the spiritual. The spiritual understanding was gone, and they the communion with God was disrupted. And they, as a matter, of, God would not let them see it. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. God will not allow. He is holy, and in Him there is no sin. He will not let sin penetrate His holiness. It's not going to happen. Okay. And so this is a terrible plight, a terrible dilemma when we get into a judgment of darkness and blindness, because we're alienated from the life of God. Now hear me carefully. You may be in church and alienated from the life of God. You may be uh, uh, calling yourself Christian. You may be uh, you may be attending religious services regularly, all that, reading your Bible and still alienated from the life of God. And many people have a judgment of darkness on their head. They're reading all kind of Bible. I mean, think about it. I have. I, 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 I mean, the, the advent of social media is so telling when you see the superstitious beliefs of Americans. I mean, uh, well, I mean, these are people who go into church and say, well, they got their wings today. They they became angels today, or, or, uh, you know, uh, happy heavenly birthday. To, I mean, they're not having a birthday in heaven? What is that? Well, and all these things about, I mean, we're trying to humanize the spiritual. It's, it just don't even make any sense. Well, I, I can hear everybody, <gasps> Tell my people happy birthday in heaven. Help yourself. I mean, it's, just, it's really superstitious. It's got nothing to do with the word of God. Now. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. You see, when you're separated, when your spirit is separated from God, you try to latch on to anything that has an appearance of life to it. So that's why you want to go to Taylor Swift's concert or to the LSU football game. That's why you got to hang on to the big crowd. That's why you got to jump into something that seems to have life. You want to go to the, to the big event or the big political rally or the big concert or whatever it might be. You just got to be there. So it seems to have life in it and you still don't have life. The event in or the baby in the mega church. And the event ends and wah, wah. you got no life in yourself. You're alienated. Don't get mad at me. Don't change over to Instagram or something right now. Just keep watching. Here we go. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance. Now, this is a lack of divine knowledge or understanding. This is a moral blindness. Blind, you see, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that's in them. Now, folks, we are in a biblically illiterate society. And so folk are just making this stuff up at at every whim. And so it's basically creating your own gods as you go. Because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of the heart, you see what happens? You see this once the heart is blinded, the mind is darkened and ignorance sets in. You have no divine understanding and you're separated from God. Then religion just goes wacko. It just goes insane. It goes crazy. Who being past feeling. Past feeling. Let me tell you something. When I was a little kid. I was very tender-hearted, man. If you hurt yourself, I was like, "Ooh, compassion!" I reeked of compassion. I did not want anyone to be hurt. Amazing. But as I grew up, became an adult, and got into sin, uh, to me, to punch somebody in the face, no feeling whatsoever. I couldn't have cared less of who I punched or who I hit or hurt. I, I it's just, I was past feeling on that. I didn't, to think of that right now, to think right now of striking out and hurting somebody the way I used to do, it just, is it like, I, I cannot do that. I just don't have it in me anymore. I might get mad, but I can't do that. It's like, I've come close. I was like, but I'm not going back. I'm not, I can't just put that kind of pain on someone else. Probably I get whooped anyway. Now I'm so old and ugly. I could, but the, the bottom line is that, It's just I had compassion, but I was past feeling sin will do that to you. Look, right now we're in a generation that is past feeling. You got people who are raised up and all they hear all day long is cursing, shouting, screaming, hollering. They, they become desensitized to wholesome instruction. They've been beaten on, abused, physically, uh, uh, dealt with in harsh manners, neglected, ab- abandoned. Folks, you got a whole generation of people coming up like this. And I'll tell you right now, they will shoot you, cut you, stab you, and it doesn't matter. I know of a police officer who walked into a situation that was called for a homicide. He walked into the, the, knocked at the door and he walked out. I'm told there's a homicide. There was, everybody in the house was sitting there around watching TV. And uh, they said, yeah, he in there. There was the guy dead in the kitchen. He said, well, what happened? He said, I ain't letting him hit on me no more. And move out the way. I'm trying to watch my TV show. That's past feeling. Okay? And it's only getting worse every day. That's a 20-year-old story. 15-year-old. I'm telling you, it's just getting worse every day. We have people who are past feeling. Now, I'll tell you something. And another part of that is, is that it may not be that harsh, but let me tell you where we're at now. We're an unconvictable society. That basically, when I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, when I tell you that sin is what it is, that hell is real and hot and, and eternal, and that, and that God will not, uh, if, if you believe or, you repent or perish, yeah, 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 whatever. That's past feeling. You've lost, you become so desensitized to the spiritual issue because you're alienated from the life of God. And society now, in the shifts of society, now just basically we've, ta- we've become a lawless society, an antichrist society, totally lawless. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now look at that, because this is some uh, powerful issues. Giving yourselves over to unbridled worldly lust—that's what lewdness is. Unbridled worldly lust, folks. Let me just hit the porn industry just for a second. I I, I got to go back and catch up on and renew the my, my my knowledge on that part about how many billions of hit per second happens to in, through the porn industry. It's, it's unbelievable. It's like, what are folk doing? Are they doing anything but watching porn? Now this is given over to an unbridled lust and a lewdness. This is horrible. Now watch it. It says, uh, giving themselves over to, lewdness, to work all uncleanness. Folks, there are four manners of being unclean in the Old Covenant. Uh, when, when a person was deemed unclean, it would be number one, through food, you could be unclean through food. And I believe that is totally associated with uh, the, the the anorexic and the uh, bulimic and also on the other end of, of obesity and generally just eating nonstop. And so whether you worship the stomach as a, I want a Apollo's girdle, or whether you worship the stomachs, I want to eat till I'm full all the time. Basically, there's a, an uncleanness around food. Number two, in reproduction, sexual reproduction, you become unclean in there, and you could go read the moral code on on, on sexual uncleanness. And literally, we are in a sexually unclean generation right now. It's terrible what's been done in the realm of such a holy and, and, and really wonderful thing that God created us in in sexuality. Now it's being perverse. Now we're, now we're, we're literally mutilating children to cause they say I'm a boy or I'm a girl and they, sex changes, mutilation. It's horrible. I got a feeling this, this, uh, uh, teaching will not hit Facebook because this ain't going to meet community standards, but it is what it is folks right now. The fact is that this is, this is where we are now. Uh, it, it it's horrible. So that's the second realm of, of uncleanness. The third realm of uncleanness was in uh touching dead bodies. Now there's an infatuation with the dead right now. I mean, folk were tattooing skulls to themselves and dead and death wearing all these uh emblems of death on them that can make you unclean. Folks, we are in the life business, not the death business, but death had an uncleanness, and you were commanded not to touch a dead body. And the fourth realm was called leprosy, and it was literally physical uncleanness and unsanitary issues that leprosy has all been eradicated except in some uh, poverty areas of the earth and extreme filthy conditions. So those four manners of being unclean, it says, we have, who've been past feeling have given themselves over to unbridled lusts To work all uncleanness with greediness. Really a greed for uncleanness. This is a terrible, terrible situation, folks. An insatiable appetite for uncleanness. Ha! But you have not so learned Christ. Wow! Look at this. If indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, let's just take that for a second here. You have not so learned Christ. Now, I'm afraid in our generation, in many churches, you have learned the other way. I think there are churches who will not say a word against sin. You can live in fornication. Nobody will say a word. You can come to church as a homosexual, an unrepentant lesbian or un, uh, 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 alternate lifestyle couples. You could transvest You can come to church, be a member in good standing, fornicators. It doesn't matter. Adulterer. It doesn't matter. Just come to church. Friend of sinners theology. That we just stay sinners and we're always his friend just as I am, just as you are forever. Don't ever change because you go. God loves you so much. You could never go to a bad old hell. This is a horrible theology. It's not true. And many are going to go to hell. Many are going to follow that broad way into eternal damnation, thinking they're saved the whole time. I'm going to tell you, I believe, I believe by the Holy Ghost, I believe that for eternity, multitudes or will shake their fists in the torments of hell, screaming curses toward the pastors who literally would not tell them. In the name of niceties, you allowed eternal damnation just to be presently nice. You see, the Apostle Paul called out the lifestyle. You cannot walk as other Gentiles. You can't walk like the world and be Christian. You've not so learned Christ. The Bible did not teach us that you can live like the world and be a Christian. The Bible does not teach. Teach that you have not so learned Christ, the anointed one, if so be that you have been taught by if you've heard him and been taught by him. And literally we come down to a discipleship issue that if you have become a disciple of Jesus Christ, he does not teach it. He teaches a different, a changed life. All right. Now, I don't believe we just put on turn over a new leaf and get it. We have to be born again. We have to have the new birth, a divine encounter in the new birth. But proper teaching after that is vital or we could lose that new birth and die in our sin. I hear many religious demons moaning and groaning over that one. Groan devil, because I'm telling you right now, when when God said. In the day that you eat, you shall surely die. You know what the devil said? Thou shall not surely die. That's what all those religious teachers who claim, oh, you're not going to die if you sin. Oh, yeah, devil. Let me tell you what. When you teach this, this, this type of eternal security that says you can keep on sinning and you're not going to go to hell, buddy, you ain't nothing but a manifested demon. You're Satan manifesting. Yes. Angels of light, no marvel. You've not so learned Christ if indeed you've heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now, let's just deal with that for a minute. You put off the old man. Let me just tell you folks, the, the work of repentance, the continual work of repentance is, in the new birth, that begins to help you disrobe yourself from that old man. I just, I love to remember the days when those old Grave clothes were coming off of me when I was bound in death and sin and the stitch. But it says it grows corrupt. That word corrupt—it's like a spoiled meat. It's like rottenness. This you grow corrupt because you're so filled with the deceitful lust, folks. You—you've not learned. You put off that old man that has become corrupt. Look, folks, God is not. God is not Oscar the Grouch from Sesame Street. He doesn't live in a garbage can. He's not going to inhabit your garbage body. Put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows. Look at that. Grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of the mind. Wow. The spirit, the, this is the repentance process, folks. It's one of the grace, the greatest grace of God. Repentance, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, we were talking before about uh, in, in some of our earlier teachings about the transfiguration uh, that, that took place in that Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus had this divine encounter and was transfigured. Romans 12:1 tells us, be not conformed to this world, be transformed. Same. Here, we could just say it this way, be transfigured. By the renewing of your mind. You see, being renewed in the spirit of the mind. You see, this is when the the Holy Spirit gets to hold to the human spirit and our minds begin to change to learn the mind of Christ. We begin to think that that's why we need to fill ourselves with the word of God and be taught by him. We don't need to follow uh, trending, current, Thought processes and what's trending in today's and and, and follow the masses in the crowd. You need to go to your Bible and begin to let Christ renew you in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man. Watch this, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Boy, this is God, our father wants to create us we create us in Christ Jesus he wants to recreate us that's what the new birth is that God the creator then recreates us in Christ in the anointed that we would walk in a good work that the divine power of God comes into us and as we're putting off that old man the new man is being put on and that God the creator is making us New. hear me carefully there's a, a lot of misquote of a verse he says when the truth has set when he you shall know the truth and the truth shall it ain't set you free it is make you free when the maker of heaven and earth begins to make you free that's a whole you know you could open up the cage and the bird might not fly out he's set free but he just said all i know is sitting in this cage When the creator makes you free and he renews you and makes you free from the law of sin and death and lifts you up above the law of sin and death and makes you a new creature in Christ Jesus recreated in Christ unto a good work that we should walk in them. You see, all these predestiny guys, they don't want to say that we've been predestinated to walk. Why then? Can we be predestinated to heaven, but not predestinated to a powerful walk here to literally display his glory in the earth? Go with that one and maybe we'll have communion. Hear it. The creator that we should walk. Watch this. According to God, which was created according to God in true righteousness. And why, why would he put a preposition there? Why would he say true righteousness? Because there's a false one. Now, let's just look at this for a second. Righteousness. Created in righteousness and true holiness. You see, when we start dealing with righteousness, it deals with the idea of moral equity, moral character, integrity. There's a change. You say, well, all our righteousness is imputed. We don't have any rights. I do, don't buy that at all. Oh, I hear him screaming again. God only looks at me. Th- Let me tell you something. Yes, I have been made right. Jesus is the righteousness of God. And I have my faith in Christ Jesus. He has made me right with God. Let me tell you something, that righteousness is indwelling righteousness now in me. We, he said, and he has made him to be sin for us that we that we who knew no sin, uh, he who knew no sin was made to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm becoming the righteousness of God in Christ. He's doing something in me to, uh, to, to make my, my integrity right, to make my, my lifestyle and manner of life right, a right wiseness to give me the wisdom that is a right wisdom, righteousness in Christ Jesus. You see, all this idea of imputed righteousness that, that folk are talking about these days where, again, we, we can't do this. We don't have any. We're just old sinners. We can do nothing. So a God just imputes that to us and we just keep on sinning. But uh, in, in the eye, a God just looks at us like we're saved. Do you realize how intricate that doctrine of imputed righteousness is? All intricate. Boy, it's all just boy, it's all intertwined, all intricate. And, And basically it undoes just about everything that commands us to obedience. Sounds nice, but it's not true. And holiness, true righteousness and holiness. Now, this isn't the same word that we usually see for Holiness. This isn't like separated under God. This is literally an indwelling holiness that our lives are being made pure, clean, holy. Therefore, because of all that, put away. Now look again, he's teaching Gentiles who had no moral code, who had no righteous lifestyle. They lived, they did whatever they wanted to. They had no inhibitions about sinning. Do you understand that? Then they believe the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. And now we have to start with this blank page into lives that were entrenched and physically addicted to immorality. It says, therefore, because of that, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Ah. <sighs> Let's just don't lie. Now, is that a reinforcement of one of the commandments? Yes. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Is this a reinforcement? As a matter of fact, the Bible says thou shalt not kill. Jesus said, even if you're angry with your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. See, anger is just a, a cowardly murderer. I'm just too scared. I don't want to pay the price. So I'll just be mad at you. Mm. But I, I, I want to kill you in my heart, but I'm, I'm scared of a death penalty. Or a life sentence. And that's, a, that's reinforcement of the Ten Commandments. Look at the next one. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him... Oh God, oh, oh wait, wait, is this really going to say... But rather let him labor... Work with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Oh, did I say that out loud? Did God say this out loud in our generation? Let him labor. Quit stealing from the government. Quit stealing from taxpayers. Quit laying on your biscuit all day long while somebody else works to pay your income. Whoops. Did I say that out loud? Did I make you feel bad at all? Because you make me kind of feel bad, too, when the government forces me to pay a tax so you can lay there and do nothing when you're an able bodied human being. Let them work so you could be a giver, not a taker. Well, where's the givers in our generation? huh? I love good givers, but let me tell you something. There's so many people who are so stinking stingy that they don't know how to give. Thieves in the house of God. They don't give. They just want to take. Give me that. Give me that. Give me that. Oh hallelujah! I mean, that's just like cussing in some parts of society right now. You you go out there and you say, "Okay, everybody, let's get a job." <gasps> <gasps> Boy, that'd be just a terrible thing to say to some people. I remember right after the Katrina flood, we had, we were housing about 60 something people in our, one of our buildings at the church. And, uh, I was in a used car business at the time. We had a little used car business and, and I, and I said, okay, look folks, y'all are fixing to get a free government check for like $2,500. I could go to the auction and get everybody a car around that price range and put you in a vehicle and, uh, and that would give you the ability to, and look, you could, you could, we can get a car. Yeah, I can get you a car. And then you could get a job. Hmm? What? Hmm. It's all of it a sudden, they understood pervading does a job. It was like, I, I mean, the worst curse word I could have possibly said. That didn't go anywhere. Thank God I didn't buy anybody a car. Walk away. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hand. Let me tell you, before I became a Christian, I was a couch potato, dope smoking. Look, I, I was so lazy. Look, I didn't want to do nothing. I got saved and the resurrection life of God hit me. And I became a work. I wanted to work. I wanted to do things. I live. I was alive and still am. 65 years old. Still am. I'm alive. Full of life. I got something to do. Let me tell you what. I, you know, he said, Don't go out there. You might, you might have a such." I hope I die working. Hallelujah. Drop dead right there in the garden or out in the field or preaching or something. Just drop dead working. Suits me just fine. Glory be to God. Can I say that too? Man, I mean, don't say that territory. All right, let's keep going. Watch. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Now, that word of corruption again, it's the same word for rotting meat, for stench. Let no corrupt words come out of your mouth. Do you know how... Do you know what the favorite word of our whole generation is? It's the F-bomb. Men, women, children? Oh, yeah! Is that all you know how to say? Is that the only filler language of your entire life? Is the rotted meat of, of corrupt words? Do you not have any intelligent thought in your head to say something intelligent except for a filler word of cussing? And, and people think it's funny. It's not funny. Cursing is not funny. It's just not. I really love a funny person, a person who can say something that has humor in it without cursing. Stay, look, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearer. Now, look at here, man. When we start thinking about people who cuss, Christ, Christians who cuss. I mean, this is just a way of life. It's a it ain't a oops. I cut. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just like they just like filth and foul and foul and filth. And oh, boy, they just whatever. Like, and you call them out on it. Hey, bro. What? Let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, I'm saved. Saved from what? Your heart is rotten. Because The Bible says, out of abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. You filthy hearted thing. Oh, you're judging me. And that's a worse curse word than the F bomb. <laughs> judging? You just said F bombs. I said, don't say F bombs. Judger. Help me now. We've just become real stupid. I mean, very, very, very spiritually stupid. I mean, demonized. Look. Keep going. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it might impart grace to the hearers. I'm pretty sure you've learned a way to F-bomb grace. Can I say that? Because I'm telling you right now, when Isaiah saw the glory of God, he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Boy, I remember when I got saved, one of the first things I just got quiet. I was afraid to talk because everything I used to say was that. I didn't know how to talk without cussing. Cussing was my language. Oh, help us, Lord. Keep going. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit it means to make him sad. I would think that a Christian saying F-bombs all day, GD and throwing the name of Jesus, blaspheming. I think that would grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm pretty sure that would make the Spirit of God gr- sad. All right. There's also a word that says that quench not the spirit. First, first, 11, five says quench not the spirit. You know what quench means? Put him out. Now, according to some, that can't possibly happen. But yes, it can. According to the Bible, you could put the Holy Spirit out of your life. In Hebrews, it says, do not insult the spirit of grace or, or despise the spirit of grace. You can literally insult the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told us that we could blaspheme the spirit. I tell you, folks, I believe that God has dealt with many people and, 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 and literally they have grieved, quenched, insulted and blasphemed the spirit till he's just not even there anymore. <sighs> Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Now, folks, he is teaching us how to talk, how to walk, how to think, what to say, what to do. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so Literally, the benchmark of our Christian faith then comes down to this, that we would literally rule of thumb, that we would walk as a forgiven man, I am so willing to forgive others. And look, when I see a brother or sister who is caught up in such a fault, I want to try to lovingly instruct them. But now it's become such a permeated idea in our lifestyles these days. You can't almost lovingly kindly, you almost got to attack this issue. Because it's so widespread. It's literally, you're coming against the rule of, of law for most people that they, they really believe there ain't nothing wrong with cursing. There ain't nothing wrong with fornicating. Now, this is just a good start into the instructions that Paul began to give the specifics. And did you notice how many of the Ten Commandments were reinforced right in here? Okay. And if you deal with, look, when you break down the Ten Commandments, the first four, uh, no God before me, no graven image, uh, no, uh, uh, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. The first four commandments were all about how we related to the Godhead. God, the father. No, no God before me. No graven image. Jesus is the express image of God. Number three. Uh, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. That's, the Holy Spirit is the custodian of the name of Jesus. And then finally, uh, remember the Sabbath, Keep really we are to worship the Godhead. That's the first four commandments are all pertinent to how we interact with the Godhead. Now, the last six uh, that honor father and mother, uh, uh, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear witness. We could go on. Look, the bottom line is that all these are being reinforced. Every last one of them. The only one not reinforces the Sabbath issue. But well, Folks, we've been called to put off the old man and put on a new man that's created in Christ Jesus. I pray that if some of you have not learned Christ this way, you, I, I call you to your Bible. Go read these things. Read them in context. Pour your mind. Let these things saturate your mind. Get in there and read this stuff. You cannot make uh, make it fit to, to associate or literally to blend worldliness into this. It cannot be done. We're being called out of that and into a holy life. So I don't want to dive into chapter five. Next week, we'll jump in. We'll call this walking part two next week. The Tonight, walking part one, next walking part two. Folks, I encourage you to walk as Jesus walks. Walk like him. Be an imitator of Christ. Don't follow the crowd. Don't follow modern teaching or current theologies. Man, run from that stuff. Get in your Bible, figure out what Jesus did, and follow Him. Well, until next week, God bless you. Have a great week. Love y'all. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's Word. If you were blessed by this podcast, We would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.